0: Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for same race multi-tips. Same Racer.
1: Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet.
2: Gamble responsibly. Call
3: 1-800-858-858.
1: From the grassroots to the elite, from the juniors to the pros, covering the Aussies trekking the globes to the champions internationally, welcome to the First Serve, your home of tennis.
4: Good evening everybody. Welcome along to The First Serve. It is your home of tennis. We're back for another week. one three hundred seven 736 We'd love you not only to listen in tonight, but to join us. Get involved in the tennis discussion. There is so much going around in the world of tennis at the moment. You can send us a text 433 1116 uh, Brett Phillips is my name as always. Joined by the Newcomb medalist of 2015, the man with the fastest serve. I did catch a bit of postcards on uh, Sunday night and there's plenty going on. Grothy, welcome to you, my friend. BP, good to be here.
3: I tell you, I wish I could get back out on postcards. It'd be nice to be able to have a little bit of the travel and, and the food lifestyle that I miss. But I bought a bike this week. That's been my thing to go and do. I've been out I riding. I did 100 kilometres with the wife throughout the week for four or so rides. But trying to find a way to just stay a little bit fit during these nice coronavirus work.
4: times. No, I did see you document that on the weekend, 26Ks. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, I've been pounding the pavements I actually found this uh, My tracker app, which is uh, brilliant. So uh, Talk it's of the time we, we, a time we would... at moment, isn't there? Yeah. Oh, anyway, I haven't signed up. I'm not one of the one million that have signed up to the coronavirus uh, app. Just off the top of the show, Courtney Walsh in just a moment, leading tennis writer for the australians going to join us we're going to dissect all the news there's a lot going around No, grothy you've got a bit to bring to the table uh tonight but one of our podcasts that we do is called aussies only we had mark Pullmans on as a special guest uh last week and i received this bit of correspondence to the first served mailbag uh, this week these blokes are great stories bp glad you continue to highlight their journeys i still recall a chat that you had with greg jones to contest tournaments on the challenger tour he was traversing the back roads of uzbekistan which you know well grothy kazakhstan in a taxi i'll take the stories of the blokes and the females that grinded out like this over a top 30 player anytime well isn't that topical grothy because a lot of the discussion right now is about those who are trying to somehow earn a living and hang on through this uh, coronavirus pandemic well it certainly is there's a lot of discussion, obviously,
3: about the lower-level tours and how that should work. Some of the great stories come from that level. A lot of the players at the top, though, they've had to battle their way through that level tour, and I know we're going to touch on it later, but that's where there's been a lot of discussion, especially from a stalwart now inside the world's
4: top five and Dominic Team, and his opinions on this whole relief fund. Yeah, we'll uh, certainly get to that. 1-300-736-736 are on the text 0433 98 11 Let's just paint the picture of where everything was at. We'll bring Courtney Walsh in in just a moment. So we know that no professional tennis until at least July 13. Crothy, you've been hearing a little bit in the last 24 hours, maybe another announcement imminent? Yeah, I I think they're going to push back again, sort of that August,
3: mid-August period, looking at Cincinnati being that first period. But I think also, and I'd love to hear what Courtney's hearing, obviously, from, from that newspaper, from the media journalist's perspective as well, but... I'm hearing a lot of talk right now from, from the ATP side, obviously, where I've still got a lot of connections that, you know, there uh, – and it comes back to this relief fund, I guess, too, where if they go and put a huge amount of cash into a relief fund, how long can the tour survive if they're not back up and running uh, in 2020 and maybe looking at even preparing that for a worst-case scenario for July 2021, which would be a real debacle?
4: Yeah, look, it, it certainly would, uh, no doubt. So – and then there's a big whiff, isn't there, that we're – You know, probably not going to play any tennis this year. Indian Wells, Miami, this whole April, May, June, clay court, grass court, swing, uh, taking in the French and Wimbledon, uh, done. Wimbledon scrapped. Uh, We know the door is still open for the French. So the Rogers Cup for the women in Montreal, that was scheduled for August 7. The key lead-up to the US Open won't be played. We know the Labor Cup has been suspended. As you've mentioned, Uh, maybe a start if we can get it all up and running by August 17 in Cincinnati, and then the US Open. It seems like everything's sort of hanging on the US Open, Grothy. If the US Open doesn't go ahead, then you would strongly suggest maybe the rest of the year doesn't go ahead. So that's slotted in for August 31. There's been a report from a a Spanish newspaper in the last few days that maybe Indian Wells could be an option We know they could certainly facilitate it, but it'd be pretty hot at that time of the year, certainly in the Californian desert. And uh, The Telegraph reporting that J.P. Morgan, one of the main sponsors of the US Open, is against the event being moved from New York. And then La Parisienne newspaper in France is reporting that the FFT has agreed to actually delay the new date of the French Open by another week, which we all at the time thought, well, there's no way that there'll only be one week separating two majors and uh, that has uh, been put back to September 27 to October 11. That's if the whole thing does go ahead. So lots of things on the table uh, for the ATP, the WTA, to try and juggle, but we wait for some definition. Yeah, I can't see. If the US Open's not going to go ahead,
3: we've we've lost Wimbledon. I I can't see the tour coming back. I think they need to just almost hold fire, reset, and, and try and prepare for what 2021 looks like and... You know, whether that means coming down here to Australia in the summer, being able to... We're lucky. We have closed borders. We can maybe quarantine players throughout December if they need to come down early, keep them monitored, if this becomes the option. You know, I know the Australian Open's also preparing for a scaled-down event. You know, the US Open said they won't play without spectators... The US, I I don't know what they're doing over there. They're slowly opening things. Some things are open, some things aren't. Some states follow what they should do or shouldn't do. But the biggest problem tennis is going to have in all of this is getting players across the globe from all of these countries to an event, but not just to that event. How do they get home afterwards or how do they come home in November? Are they going to have to quarantine again? Are they going to be allowed back in their own countries? I mean, there's so many different rules and restrictions all over the place and that's the biggest problem for me.
4: Yeah, looking highly uh, unlikely. Grothy, just before I bring in Walsh here, now you, you've been having some discussions across the weekend, certainly from a... A couple of angles here as to what it may look like in the next sort of short-term period to long-term period. What are you hearing?
3: Yeah, I mean, I I think obviously we've been hearing a lot about this player relief fund. That's been the big discussion and and merger also. So they're the two that have really been on the radar with tennis in the news in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Obviously, a lot of top players led by Novak Djokovic pushing for a relief fund. But I'm hearing that the ATP so far has been a little reluctant to go and put the money forward for those lesser ranked players because they're trying to keep their own tour afloat. So they're uh, preparing themselves for a worst-case scenario. I mentioned just before that they might be in a situation where there's no international tennis and travel by or before July 2021. So they've got to be able to keep themselves afloat. I know they've put a lot of their staff down to 60% pay um, when initially they thought they'd be able to keep them on full pay. I don't think they initially thought it was going to be as bad as it's become. And also here in the WTA went and gave everybody – who is meant to be in the tournament first round prize money from Indian Wells. But I'm also hearing that they're financially in dire straits right now. And, mm. you know, we talk about a merger and if that is the case between the ATP and the WTA, You've got to think yep. to a degree it'll be the ATP propping up the WTA side of things
4: for the moment. Bit to play out. Let's bring in Courtney Walsh, leading tennis writer for the Australian, one of our contributors here on the first serve. Walsh, great to have you back on the show. Yeah, great
2: to uh, be talking to you both, uh, Brett and Sam. Hope all is well.
4: Hey, I should just say I read a great story. We probably haven't a lot of, got a lot of time to get into it tonight, but go and have a read. A great story about tennis in Australia far north, uh, right up there in the Cape. Uh, Walsh, it's a great read and um, I'll tell you there's a few obstacles for players to encounter in the far north of Australia.
2: Yeah, taipans, pythons, <laughs> brown snakes told by the uh, the veteran coach up in uh, up in a, in a region just south of Cairns who's dug out a tennis court 28 years uh, since it's last been used right in the middle of the jungle, but that even uh, even had a cow found there recently which uh, had gone the wrong end of a got the wrong end of a snake bite. So uh, Young players who traipsing in through to get their fix of tennis, um, you know, hoping to become the next Ash Barty or Sam Groth, perhaps.
3: It's preparing him for the tour because there's a few snakes out on tour too. I tell you what, <laughs> <laughs> no doubt
2: about that. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure you've got plenty of tales to tell in that regard. But uh, some spectacular photos and uh, and look nice yep. to see uh, different parts of the country taken to their different
4: tennis differently yeah indeed Uh, check out the Australian you can subscribe online and uh, and read Walsh's article it was a great read across the weekend Grothy and I were just discussing the calendar and just painting the picture where everything is at what's been postponed what's still left in the schedule what might be what might not be Walsh we haven't spoken for a little while can I get just get a quick take before we get into a couple of key issues of what you're sort of hearing on the grapevine, your contacts in tennis as to what this tennis year may look like, if, if anything. I
2: had a good uh, chat uh, last week to uh, Peter Johnson, who, who you both know well, the organiser yep. of the ATP events in St. Petersburg and also, I think, in Zhuhai, Kheon Classic 20 director, and he obviously spent uh, time as the managing director of the WTA in the Asia-Pacific region and, you know, former pro as, as well and ATP executive. So he's got his uh, finger to the pulse and, he was saying that a lot of the events are waiting on the U.S. Open. He thinks that's the domino that has to fall, You know, either going ahead or not going ahead. I heard Sam say that there uh, you know, very much a strong possibility that tennis won't come back. I think Feliciano Lopez has said as much today on uh, the BBC uh, early in the morning in London that he doesn't think uh, tennis will be played this year. But those events that are sort of around the U.S. Open and also around the French Open, they're wondering that if the U.S. falls over, which... You know, given the health situation in, the, in America at the moment, that appears likely. Then there may be some real room in terms of trying to have a clay court season into the French Open, which, as we said, has moved back a week again, uh, then perhaps some events through Asia into the Davis Cup. That's if tennis goes ahead. But certainly that's the key domino, the, uh, the US Open, as to as to how the rest of the uh, circuit can try and shape themselves. We know that there's 50, 50-odd options on the... Uh, uh, being discussed as to potential plans for the the latter stages of the season, but I think there's certainly a lot to play out.
3: Yeah, and obviously the problem I think also, Walsh, and you be able to relate it to the players getting from country to country. That's that's going to be the biggest problem as well. Even if the U.S. Open says they're going ahead, how do the players get to all these events? I mean, you mentioned Peter Johnson. How's he going? Securing players for his event if it does go ahead?
2: Oh, look, that's that's one of the things. As you said, you, you've got to be planning. But you, you you don't necessarily know, I mean the French Open was placed initially right in the midst of St. Petersburg, now it's gone back to Zhuhai and now he's got he, he he runs both those two tournaments, so for him mm. it's uh, it's really smack bang in events that he was operating. We talk I guess about border restrictions people are I'm wondering if people are warming into the concept of, of, of albeit not ideal but a scenario of restricted return. So, you know, unfortunately, some players from some nations may not be able to compete. Certainly, we know the Australian Open, is one of the options is, a, is an abbreviated format being considered. Is, it, is there a potential there for, for, for some sort of rankings freeze, but also to play tournaments so that, you know, players from uh, nations that are over the worst of it or, or able to quarantine or able to travel somewhat might be able to enter tournaments later in the year to keep some income flying or flowing into the tour. I know it's not ideal. It's obviously not what uh, anyone would want, but it may be a way to get tournaments back up and running.
4: We're going to slip in an early break. We're going to come back and continue this discussion. There's a bit on the table tonight. Sam Groth, Brett Phillips, Courtney Walsh, leading tennis writer from the Australian. You can join us, 1300 uh, 736 Keep up to date with our website, thefirstserve.com.au. Plenty of news articles, Aussies only, crunching the numbers, our two podcasts up every week. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. The First Serve, we're off and running on a Monday night here on SCN. The First
1: Serve. Your home of tennis.
4: Welcome back to The First Serve on this Monday night. Thanks to Top Agents Real Estate. If you're looking to buy, rent, sell, or have their property investment managed, you can make contact with David and his team, They'll be back in the office tomorrow, 955 or you can head to their website, top-agents.com.au. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Brett Phillips, Sam Groth, and we've got Courtney Walsh, the leading tennis writer from the Australian on the line. We discussed uh, the calendar and how it's looking in the first part of our show tonight, and as and. Walshian- And uh, we mentioned a little bit earlier the US Open is going to be certainly the big one and depending how that falls, the rest of the calendar will be uh, certainly designed around that. Gents, I wanted to get into the um, Player Relief Fund. Let's have a chat about that and where that's at. The ATP, the WTA in conjunction with the ITF and the four Grand Slams will administer a Player Relief Fund to help those in tennis dealing with the financial effects. We have learnt that officially in the last week. More details to come, which is going to be interesting. The figure mooted was around sort of that $6 million mark. Uh, We mentioned on the show Grothy last week, Novak Djokovic, uh, sending out a letter to the top 100 players to really support those around that 250 to 700 ranking. The ATP had suggested sort of 150 to 400. The aim to try and put about $10,000 into each of the pockets on a sliding scale, so the top five putting in 30K down to... Uh, you're sort of 50 to 100 players putting in about 5K each and the top 20 doubles players putting in 5K each. Now, publicly, we know there's plenty you'll have thoughts privately, Sam, and you can fill a few gaps, but yeah. Dominic Team has uh, it's been made a statement, hasn't, when, hasn't
3: he? Well, when it first came out, everyone was around that discussion of, you know, the players are going to be donating this. Now everything you read is, well, the players will be given the option To pay this, so you got to think there's been some pushback from the players inside that top hundred. We know Dominic Team came out this week and has been very vocal, and I'd love to hear what Walsh is hearing because obviously a fund is great, but I think at the moment you want to secure the the future of both the men's and women's tours, and we're hearing out a merger or a union and or sharing Mm -hmm. resources. I'd I'd love to know you know what he's hearing hearing on that side of things because for me, securing the tour at the moment is probably far more important. Then securing a fund to support some lower-ranked players for a
4: one-off payment. Walshy, just before you jump in, here's the... A quote from Dominic Team. I'll get you to comment and talk about that more generically from what Sam said. None of the lower ranked players have to fight for their lives. I've seen players on the ITF tour who don't commit to the sport 100%. Many of them are quite unprofessional. I don't see why I should give them money. I'd rather donate to people, and institutions who really need it. There is no profession in the world where you are guaranteed success and high income at the start of your career. None of the top players took anything for granted. We all had to fight our way up the rankings.
2: It's an interesting uh, topic. Is there a tour, if you haven't got players between 250 and 700, or is it going to be similar to, say, for example, the AFL, Australian rules, where the last... You know, the, the, the elite competition will go ahead this year, and then you'll see the state leagues start to come back and the suburban leagues start to come back perhaps later this year, but more to the point, more likely in, you know, in 2021 and beyond. Do we need the challenger tour this year? It's you know if if the if the main tourists are struggling to survive or struggling financially, do you need this, do you need those players from 250 to 700? I'd argue you do, but I can understand why there's pushback against it. You could probably level the same accusations that players inside the top 100. I'm sure Sam would uh, would agree. There are people who you know who who train at different levels, whose professionalism is is different, who thrive off of, of different wa- ways yep. of being. In terms of donating funds, well, you have seen that you know the, the big three donate a significant amount already to their own nations in terms of medical supplies, you know, well over a million. But others will counter and say, well, what's one million to them, or what's thirty thousand to Federer? How about the guy that just broken into the top one hundred that has to pay five thousand euros or five thousand yeah. American dollars? You know, it's there's so many different factors to this that you know it's it's, it's a certainly a difficult thing. I know that. You know, certainly, yeah, you know, the French, the LTA in the UK have, have announced some sort of funding scheme for their players. I think Tennis Australia is working through some models, but also there's sort of the potential of you know, the job uh, the job keeper being explored there by by Tennis Australia for some players. So, a lot to play out there. It's, you know, I, I don't I don't begrudge Team at the hearing. I know it, it may some people may say that he comes across as cheap given, you know, he made the Australian Open final and made. Or was that the best part of a million dollars, Australian? But, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of different factors there and I don't begrudge players having their view.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't begrudge me having his view either. I think everyone's going to vary in their opinions and where this money should come from. Um, I just think you've got to look at the well-being of the tour as a whole and we've discussed it, Brad, on this show numerous times. It's a time to try and pull this together and work out is this the be- best structure we currently have? Is it the mm-hmm. best idea to have seven stakeholders running the game, but it also probably raises the question a little bit, is do we need to be paying the winner of a Grand Slam $5 million? Now, can that money be... If you took half a million dollars out of every Grand Slam winner's check from every Grand Slam men and women and put it to a fund itself, you've got $8 million. I mean, do we need to be paying the top guys when they win a Grand Slam as much as we are the inc- the increases we've been seeing over the last few years have been so phenomenal yes in the first round which and in qualifying which has been needed but the n- number at the top as well in terms of how big those winners checks it, it's it's quite huge really
4: yeah no doubt and Walshy this is just a little bit of social media feedback that I've received in the last uh, week and you can see the concept of it, regardless of the dollar amount that's been stated. All ATP WTA prize money to be capped to a maximum 250k a win, then use the sliding down scale for runner up, semi final, quarter final, then draw on the remainder to pay the players. And the other bit of correspondence I received during the week, in terms of maybe having a beefed up sort of local tour here, can TA afford a local tour in the long run? Does it mean maybe scaling back all the niceties that have made the Australian Open so popular with the visiting players?
2: I and mean, I think you'll find that, you know, Paul McNamee has been a strong proponent of uh, of regional tours to try and build the profile of, of players locally, suggesting that, you know, being the number one Australian really means something, being the number one American really means something. Trying to make that a significant part of of a player and then being able to, I suppose, earn away from the tennis tour itself. So in terms of sponsorship earnings, I, I think Sam's points absolutely spot on about. You know the the fact that we probably don't need the winner to be getting four to five million uh, a tournament. We know that someone like a Federer or a Nadal or a Djokovic, their sponsorship earnings alone are sort of ten times what they're earning in actual prize money. Now those sponsorship earnings are not going to dip away if we cut the prize money in half for the winner and for the runner-up and the semi-finalists, because there's still the prestige of winning the Australian Open, winning Wimbledon, winning the French Open, winning those major. Masters uh, events around the around the world. The sponsorship endorsements don't really matter. So if that goes some way to securing the, the future, well, I, I don't see any issues with that. Again, back to that discussion with Peter Johnson last week. He he suggested that it's you know in terms of a merger or a potential merger between the two tours. He said what people probably don't realise, and I'm sure Sam being closer to the tours has seen this a lot. There's actually a lot of sharing of resources as it is. Like they. And the supervisors from both tours speak a lot together. You know, flight companies, so flights for tournament staff are the same. Yeah, you know, for tour staff are the yeah,
3: same. I think it is going to be you know negotiating a broadcast right deal as a, as a combined organisation. That's for me. Sorry to butt in there, Walsh, but that's for me where the tours need to be better. So rather than the WTA going out and selling their rights to be in sports and not getting any um, traction globally because it's not a, a service that a lot of people subscribe to and they go missing. For a whole year there, where you know you just didn't get to see WTA events, I think that's where a union between the two tours needs to become better. Because you're right, there is a lot of shared resources already, but why they're not doing that in terms of the biggest way to raise revenue for the tours as well is the one that I sort of question. Oh,
2: and look, Craig Tiley was uh, was saying last week uh, in the conversation with him that's you know that's one of the main hurdles, the broadcast negotiations, and, and there's some long term contractual. Obligations there, as well as obviously obligations with different cities and governments around the world to run events, but the broadcast is a key one. Now, what's going on here at the moment? The collaboration between the bodies. It may well be that in coming years, this, the, I suppose the stone, yeah, you know, the, the, the footsteps being trod now, actually lead to that merger in you know, when the next broadcast deal is up. So it, it may well be that what's happening now, the collaboration, does lead to that down the track. But it certainly won't happen. You know, we won't be resuming play in January with the two bodies uh, together unless something unbelievably drastic happens or or a contract yeah. just ceases completely. And if I think a lot would term. have to
3: change for a merger to happen as well because we've noticed in recent times the WGA's willingness to go into Asia and China to support their tour and, and take a lot of events there. And really the ATPs, uh, they've had a lot of offers and big money offers to take more tournaments there, but they've been very reluctant to take their tour that way. So there'd have to be a lot... To change in the way the two tours look at themselves and are and are structuring uh, both of their calendars for that to work properly as well. Yep,
4: no doubt. Hey, Walshy, just before I let you go, uh, Tennis Australia, you mentioned you had to chat to Craig, and uh, that was in the Australian last week. And M- John O, of course. But Tennis Australia, we believe to outline an interim domestic sort of setup once these restrictions are going to be eased nationally, which we think is going to happen over the next uh, few weeks.
2: Yeah, look, I always like to believe there would be something. Uh coming this week the specifics the details I'm not absolutely certain about but i'm I was told that there would be announcements uh hopefully this week and you know' it'd be lovely to hear something tomorrow in terms of uh, of an initial domestic competition um we know that uh you know queensland and w a is in their borders there's been yep. A bit more freedom out of New Zealand as well, which is obviously, uh, you know, you could well have a little, I suppose, uh, Anzac-type situation as well, um, add, add the Kiwis in. So that, that that's the potential, certainly. Hopefully this week
1: we'll know more.
4: Mate, great to have you on the show. Just to give us a snapshot of where everything is at, it's a, a moving beast. A bit like the coronavirus, every day it's fluid, the discussion. Mate, really appreciate you coming on. We'll read uh, your great work in The Australian. Absolute pleasure, gents, and uh, as I said, stay safe. Courtney Thanks, Walsh, Walsh covering uh, the tennis, he's covering the footy as well. He's covering everything at the Australian, doing a a beautiful job. We'll take a break. Going to come back. Mark Sifoulis, our high-performance coach uh, voice here on the first serve. He has been talking to a lot of the coaching fraternity. Mark is very much at the coalface of it, and he's going to share what is happening in that coach's space. All thanks to Yarra Tennis Coaching, Melbourne's award-winning coaching program at Eaglemont Tennis Club since 2002. little hiatus for Shane and his team at the moment with the uh, Gates locked. 20 teams, junior and adult programs. Private lessons. He's one of the best in the business. YarraTennis.com.au. Back with more here on The First Serve.
1: The First Serve, your home of tennis.
4: Welcome back with you every Monday night. We're just going to keep going. I think, Rothy, I think we'll just keep soldiering on, even though there might be any tennis to July. July next year. Can you imagine if they make that call? Oh oh no, I know. I called and told you that I would hear. I was hearing that today and
3: <laughs> almost heard, heard you fall over. I think you were out for a walk and... You almost uh, almost collapsed yeah. a little bit, but I think they're just planning for a worst-case yeah. scenario, which is what they've got to do. I mean, yeah. if it did happen to go to there, you would hate to see tennis fall over as a sport if those top bodies couldn't survive.
4: Absolutely. I just wanted to quickly read this out in relation to Dominic Team and in appreciation of your view and and Walsh's view and and Team saying that he's not really prepared to cough up thirty k to support the uh, lower-ranked players. Uh, this is from Jake Eames. Now Jake is one of our hosts of our Aussies Only podcast, doing a nice job. He has played on the tour. He said to me today, I think it's a disgrace. I can understand wanting to donate to more charitable causes, that's fine, but to generalise lower-ranked players as unprofessional and don't deserve it is a shocker. Uh, there are plenty of unprofessional players in the top 100, but we don't generalise that the top 100 as unprofessional. They may just be more talented. He Most likely, along with 99% of the players in the top 100, are young prodigies, given the absolute world at a very young age, sponsors national funding, contracts of all sorts. There's not too many professions out there where you start out having the same level up front yearly expense, one in which they can't get government or bank loans for, to stick his neck out, like that over 30K is poor form from him.
3: Yeah. There's I mean, I don't necessarily agree with him saying the unprofessional part. I don't disagree with him saying, should the top players support the lesser players? If, in the end, they, they've worked to get there. I mean, I know not everyone, we say, not everyone's worked as hard or not everyone's as talented or, you know, but there's a reason the guys are, are top 100 or top 150 or, or 200 now where the guys can support themselves to a level. There's a reason why those guys are there. Now, if – you know, and I always say it, if you're not good enough at your job to make a living in the the, the picture that's there, I mean, tennis has always mm. been that number, and, and the number has gotten more. I mean, if we go back yep. 10 years ago to when I first started playing or when I was young, I mean, 22 years of age, you couldn't make money at 200 in the world. You were struggling. Mm. Now you can to a degree. So mm. it is getting better, but I think going to the sport, knowing as well that that's how many guys get into a
4: Grand Slam, that's how many guys make money. It's a fascinating debate, Grothy, and we... uh I suppose we'll, this has given us great time to think about all this. What is the line? What is the line where you should be able to make a living? We'll continue to debate that, but let's bring in Mark Sofoulis, our high-performance coaching expert. He's the host of our podcast, Crunching the Numbers, which is going beautifully, doing some great work at the tennis menu. We just wanted to check in with the coaching fraternity around Australia, who uh, Mark is very closely connected to. Great to have you on the show, Mark.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, BP and Sam. Nice to hear from you both.
4: What What are you hearing out there? You're talking to the coaches. I know you're a couple of webinars a couple of weeks ago i mean the coaches are trying to use this time as effectively as possible to continue to develop but obviously for a lot of them uh, they've lost uh, whether it's at the you know grassroots up to that sort of more high performance level they've lost that that daily routine and that income of coaching
1: yeah it's actually interesting seeing how many coaches can't use a computer it's actually quite funny to watch and um and i'm one of those who has had to actually improve my skills in that area but you know, it's a it's a challenging time for coaching fraternity around the world, and you know, no different to the players. We rely on on being on the court to make an income, and um, at the moment, uh, we're we're trying to find ways to do that, whether it be you know through Zoom uh, sessions or uh, running webinars. We're all trying to find you know that point of difference, and uh, you know, if, if the tour doesn't go back for a while, it's going to have a massive impact on us moving forward into the next uh, 12 months because there's a lot of A lot of parents and and people losing jobs therefore you know tennis isn't a necessity that they're going to have to spend money on so there's a lot of a lot of factors that are uh driving us to uh to a challenging point at the moment and yeah we're trying to find things to do on a daily basis yeah mark we addressed it here probably
3: four to six weeks ago now bp that tennis australia was making a shift back to the private sector obviously this has come at a bad time this whole coronavirus situation but had you started to notice or have, have you had any discussions uh, obviously, you work a lot at Grassroots, but you're also very much in that high end. We've seen you a lot on tour over the years with a number of players. But have you noticed any sort of switch or any communication from Tennis Australia uh, about this move back to the private sector?
4: Yeah,
1: Sam, there was a, a huge um, a huge shift and there was a lot of communication um, around the traps of, about the, the shift to the private sector again. And um, we have been informed of, of the, the way that they're trying to go. But obviously, yeah, this has put a big dent in the in in the process moving forward so uh, i'm not sure where it's gonna gonna land from here um you know i think we're in a bit of a situation at the moment i think victoria is probably one of the only state if not the only state not coaching at the moment so um there is all the other states doing uh one-on-one sessions at the minimum uh we're the only state that can't get on court so something in the government directives that said
3: outside tennis courts can have one court open is that is that not right i was having a chat with the Uh, about this actually yesterday
1: yeah no uh, public courts can um no organized tenants can be can be um, held. so the local councils have actually gone around and locked a lot of the private courts now also, which is which is making it quite challenging. and I spoke to a few of my younger players this morning, and they're they're queuing up the courts at six thirty a m every morning uh, because there's only one court available at public court. so um, all uh, organised coaching is put off by Tennis Victoria and advised not to be done and ceased to this stage. Uh, but, yeah, we're waiting for the green light. Look, I think it should hopefully come within the next couple of weeks where we might be able to get back on court and do one-on-one, um, obviously with uh, social distancing protocols in place. But, yeah, it, it's, it's not going to be easy moving forward. I would guess the big group numbers, uh, the, the numbers on court will reduce to maximum one, maybe two. Um, and that will probably leave a big dent in a lot of uh, coaches' um, obviously pockets because a lot of a lot of us rely on numbers to create uh, the amount of money we need to. One-on-ones are only only gonna gonna help so much.
4: Mark, we've spoken a lot about the players. We've spoken a lot about the tour. I mean, everyone now has an opportunity to sit, think. What does it look like from a playing perspective, a calendar perspective? What about just the coaching fraternity that you? have a, a chat to. Has it given the coaching fraternity a real chance to sort of sit back and have a look at the roles that you're playing? How can you tinker with those? How does it look better that coaching space going forward? I mean what's been sort of some of the discussion in your space?
1: Yeah, I've spoken to a lot of guys and it's actually interesting because as the players are probably in the same boat, a lot of coaches have either probably, and I, and I, and I call a lot of us coaches failed players because generally we are, but is that the the small percentage of, of very, very successful players that have turned their hats to coaching but I think a lot of us are, are people that have come from trying to play the game and, and probably have not a lot of qualification behind us and and that's the challenge is what do we do next if, if tennis isn't going to bring the income that we need to support fam- our families and and our livelihood you know so I'm, I know through what I'm doing at the moment with the tennis menu it's it's all going online and, you know, we're doing some sessions for our school. Maribyrnong College is all based online and we do our Zoom sessions on a daily basis, 35 kids on a Zoom session and we're doing tactical work and mindset work and um, just doing bits and pieces to try and keep ourselves afloat, I guess, at this point in time. But, uh, you know, everybody is looking for that next step and, you know, what if, you know, tennis doesn't go back to where it was. I mean, can we sustain a living, or do we need to look at something else? So, some coaches are looking at online, and some coaches are looking at another another avenue um, in terms of work moving forward. So, it is it is challenging for a lot of a lot of coaches out there.
4: Challenging for coaches, challenging for people in society. We're all uh, probably thinking of Plan B, Plan C, if this doesn't go right. But We'll wait and see. Mark, crunching the numbers going beautifully, episodes one to seven, they've dropped. Episode eight with you and Shane Leonard, who's got a great mind with all the data, marrying it up with coaching. That'll land this week on our First Serve uh, podcast page. So make sure you check out that and follow the tennis menu because if you love coaching, if you love The science of it all, Uh, Mark's tennis menu on social media is great to uh, actually follow every week, mate. Really appreciate you coming on, and we'll tune in for crunching the numbers this week.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. And, yeah, it's been a great podcast. Good fun with Shane, and uh, it's nice to have a nerd to do all your work for you. Yes.
4: He does a lot of the talking. Well, I've noticed that. Thank you, Mark. Mark <laughs> is doing a beautiful job. Thanks to Starting From Scratch, they offer that premium glass repair. They're still open, folks. They specialise in the removal of window scratches, bringing it back to its former glory. Scratches on that sliding door, Grothy's dog's going, mad. your pet dog, local milk bar that has been a bit of graffiti tag with a knife, they can remove it. Head to their website, startingfromscratched.com.au. Back with more on the first serve. <laughs>
1: The first serve your home of tennis
4: great to be with you on a monday night uh, thanks to 100 words which is a network of active local communities with the aim of improving uh, men's mental health and reducing male suicide. so check out their great work doing an outstanding job at 100words.com.au so about once a month uh, grothy we catch up with our resident physio who also spent a lot of time in tennis, uh, Rob Brandon from Evolve Sports Physio. Over 25 years clinical experience. Uh, they're a collective of practitioners that allows them to collaborate, proactively help prevent injury, fast-track diagnosis and recovery, give their clients every opportunity to get the best out of their body. Now, Evolve Sports Physio is located, if you want to go in and uh, be serviced by Rob and the team, Suite 1, 492 St Kilda Road in the city. Check out their website as well, Evolve Sports dot physio rob great to have you back on the show
0: oh thanks dp uh you always do a good job of giving me a good intro that's great thank you
4: well i know that you're you're still on deck there you've had a a client of course at six tonight so uh, no rest for the wicked for you but how how have you found this whole coronavirus period just as a, a business and as someone that's you know heavily involved in sport
0: ah yeah yeah geez it's uh truly turned the world upside down um i think you know first couple of weeks like most businesses we saw things drop off quite a bit and uh um you know people were staying home as they should be um even though we were we're still here providing face-to-face consults so um yeah we just had to really sort of pivot and change how we were doing things we uh, we started doing a bit more telehealth um doing consults over video and over the phone which was, uh, yeah, a yeah, bit of a different skill to get used to. Um, but, yeah, I think there's a bit more optimism out there now. The phone started ringing again in the last uh, week or two since Easter and um, starting yep. to look up again. Yeah, and we're seeing all the
3: players online. We're seeing a lot of the the professional players posting their home workouts and what they're doing to keep themselves fit and their bodies right during this time of lockdown. But what should the social tennis player be doing while they're at home to make sure that when... I guess community sport does pick up again that they're ready to go and, and they don't end up having to come in and see you too often um, with, with their their coronavirus broken down bodies.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I guess it's it's just such a, a never-before-seen scenario, isn't it, that, that everything stops. So, you know, normally you might have um, some tennis being stopped, uh, but other things are happening. You can still get to the gym where... In this instance, you, you've uh, you've still got to be maintaining your fitness, um, and but I think you know trying to make sure that we try and relate that as much as we can to tennis. Um, you know, you want to be making sure that you're still getting some impact load. So, you know, that might just be as simple as as getting some runs in. Uh, but because tennis is such a, a ballistic sort of dynamic sport and and so explosive. Uh, We still want to be making sure that we're getting some acceleration and deceleration uh, loading. So, you know, doing a, a, say, three or 4K uh, run around the block is is great because it still gets your fitness, but we still need to be complementing that with some, some sprinting work um, and, uh, you know, some jumping and and sort of ballistic movements, uh, which keeps that load in our tissues because essentially in our muscles and tendons, that whole um, uh, saying of move it or lose it is, is is exactly true in these scenarios. As soon as we stop doing those activities, the tissue strength starts to reduce. Uh, And so when we suddenly introduce that load again, you know, it's got to be ready for it and and be able to um, accommodate that load. So we don't want to be jumping back on the court and unfortunately suddenly doing a calf because, uh, you know, you just haven't kept that strength up.
3: Yeah. And you mentioned workloads, but for an injured athlete as well, though, it's possibly a good time while they're not forcing themselves to get back out, that they can do the correct rehab and actually get themselves or give themselves the correct amount of time to get themselves ready again.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, I think you know it can be a, a little bit of a mini blessing in that regard, isn't it? You know, where someone might have had that niggly knee that they've been nursing through the the season, um, and now an actual a bit of rest has actually been forced upon them. But um, you know, our our adage is certainly complete rest is is really rarely you know the the main thing we want to be doing. We still want to be maintaining some fitness, uh, at least by modifying what we're doing. So. Um, you know, yeah. Giving that example of a niggly knee, for that person they could be maintaining their fitness with doing some lower impact load, maybe getting on the bike. Um, you know, depending on what fitness equipment they've got available to them, but then you know, using this window to be getting stuck into their their rehab, um, getting as strong as they can, so that when you know tennis does come back, uh, they can get straight back into it.
4: Yeah, no doubt. Rob Brandon with us, our resident physio. You can check out Robney's team, four ninety two St Kilda Road. In the city, have a look at their website, evolvesports.physio. And we mentioned uh, having to be a little bit creative and the gyms have been taken away. So there's not that place to go to, Rob, every single day. I mean, we've seen some you know, a lot of the stuff on social media from players just trying to be really creative and keeping up their daily fitness uh, routine. Anything else you would look to sort of you know throw into the mix to be doing at home just to know, try and rehab an injury, or or certainly keep the body in good nick.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, I'm certainly an advocate of, of trying to keep things as simple as possible. Um, so you know, a lot of the time with with things that if, if we work talking more about rehab rather than fitness, um, you know, we don't need a, a lot of weight and and resistance to um, to challenge some of these muscles that we might be rehabbing. And and often um, I think the thing that sometimes gets a little bit overlooked. Uh, from a physio point of view is is we really just need to start with some low load uh, but giving it high repetition. So, um, you know, say for example, someone with a shoulder problem and they um, have some weakness in their rotator cuff, you know, you could just be, say, lying on your side and you're doing a, a rotator cuff, cuff exercise holding a bottle of wine, you know, and that would give you about a I've been doing plenty of, of exercises system.
3: with with wine and glasses and bottles of wine during this coronavirus period.
0: <laughs> a lot of drinking. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, we we do need a full one, Grothy, not uh, the empty ones <laughs> sitting next to your, your rubbish bin. Uh, but uh, yeah, but you know, you just need, we can just get inventive with things around the house. So, I mean, if you don't necessarily have any access to weights, it could be, could be a bottle of wine, could be a sack of flour out of the cupboard, could be, um, you know, a couple of books, um, whatever. When you're a get, child. get uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what about what um, about yeah, the bloke that. the
4: other day? Groth, you got a Labrador. That bloke who was on social media just doing uh, push-ups with his lab. Yeah, it's not going to be me. I tell you, I, I
3: need to be a little bit better with my body maintenance during this period. That's what I've got on the bike. I, I need yep. to be better. I need to be, do more flexibility. That's my problem.
4: Hey, Rob, we've got to go. I'm getting the, uh, the wind-up, but we can uh, – uh, certainly take a look at all of that. I mean, certainly for the social player out there. I mean, we don't want you just to be totally in cotton wool. We need you to be keeping yourself nice for when pennant comes back and uh, uh, midweek ladies, whatever it might be. We need you in good condition. 492 St Kilda Road in the city. Evolve Sports Physio, a big part of the first serve. You can go and actually see Rob and his team. Book an appointment, evolvesports.physio. Mate, we'll talk to you soon.
0: Yeah, good to catch up, guys. Thanks for having me on.
4: Rob Brandom. There's the music. Grothy, we've got to go. We've covered a bit of ground on this Monday night. Thefirstserve.com.au. Keep an eye on our website all through the week and, of course, all our socials. You going for a big bike ride? I've
3: got a little bit of saddle soreness. I need a day or two, so I'm, I'm back into it.
4: Right. Well, that means you can put a glass in your hand on the day off then. <laughs> hey, the neighbours haven't complained for a week. I must have kept it down. I've been watching Netflix at a lower level. Thank you, Grothy. We'll be back 6 o'clock next Monday night with The First Serve.